the Seattle Opera Podcast. Hello, opera lovers. It's Jonathan Dean, Seattle Opera Dramaturg and unofficial company historian, here with Carmen 101, a podcast to prep your ears for the beloved music that rounds out our Seattle Opera season in May of 2019. Please subscribe to our Seattle Opera podcast and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you like to listen. Carmen may very well be the most popular opera ever composed. It's full of tunes you'll recognize because they've left the context of this opera and taken on a life of their own. For instance, you all know the slinky habanera, our femme fatale heroine's perverse philosophy of love. Here's what the habanera sounded like, sung by Beaker and the Swedish chef on The Muppet Show. And as for Escamillo's well-known Toreador song... Here's how that sounded when the skipper on Gilligan's Island was playing Polonius in a low-budget island production of Hamlet. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Do not forget, stay out of debt. Think twice and take this good advice from me. Guard that old solvency. There's just one other thing you ought to do. Thine own self be true. Carmen has a rich life beyond the opera house. But let's stick with the opera, which is full of fantastic music and stars four wonderful characters. There's the title role, who may be opera's most seductive female character. Don Jose, the high-strung guy who is destroyed by her and who destroys her. And there's Micaela, the very sweet girl from José's hometown, who is everything Carmen is not.
and José's rival, the flashy and charismatic bullfighter Escamillo. With those four characters, we get two love triangles. Carmen and Micaela fight over Don José, and Don José and Escamillo fight over Carmen. But Escamillo and Micaela are really secondary characters. The opera scrutinizes this jointly destructive relationship between Carmen and Don José. More than anything else in the world, Carmen wants to be free. She's a person who simply doesn't care about the rules. Why on earth does she go for Don José? He's a man who has spent all his life trying desperately to be good and failing at it. A tightly wound soldier and seminary school dropout. He cannot even imagine the kind of freedom Carmen craves, let alone conceive of a woman determining her own fate. But she picks him out of all the crowd. And when she tosses a flower at him, the music tells us exactly where their relationship is going to go. In some operas, the love music implies that the two lovers like each other. Not so Carmen and Don José. They're deeply attracted to each other, but they drive one another crazy. They meet in Act 1. On their first date in Act 2, they quarrel. By Act 3, they're regularly screaming at each other in public. Act 4 climaxes with their mutual destruction. theater thinking, well, our relationship may have a bit of friction, but at least we never did that. I think it's a have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too situation, because Carmen is both an extremely entertaining opera, and also one that asks some really tough and important questions. Some of Carmen's entertainment value comes from the elaborate background, an extremely French fantasy of Spain. It's a world of alluring beauty.
place where lovely women with eyes black as ink languidly smoke cigarettes on their work break. Gypsies dance wildly as closing time nears at seedy taverns. where the procession of matadors into the arena is the most exciting thing that's ever happened. But I believe that what has kept people so enthralled ever since this opera's premiere in 1875 is not all the local color that's built into the show. It's what the opera says about men and women and love and freedom. The words of Carmen's theme song, her ultra-recognizable habanera, are her philosophy of love. Love is a bird you'll never catch, a gypsy child who's never known rules, If you love me, I don't love you. And if I love you, you're in trouble. Carmen's willful perversity is what makes her so endlessly fascinating. She's both heroine and villain, and reactions to her run the gamut. In 1875, at the world premiere, many considered her wicked by definition. In those days, a woman who asserted her sexuality, who refused to do as instructed by her father or husband, was swimming upstream in a big way, especially if we're talking middle class. Carmen's composer, Georges Bizet, had the misfortune to have his masterpiece premiered at a theater that was basically a respectable meeting place where introductions could be arranged among the sons and daughters of the middle class. People went to the Opera Comique because they couldn't afford to go to the Palais Garnier. The middle class has always been more socially conservative than either the upper or the lower class, and attending this theater really was about proper behavior according to the code. You wouldn't believe the insipid operas they normally produced. Bizet was crushed when his audience massively failed to appreciate Carmen. It seems they couldn't accept it because the opera refuses to condemn its willful heroine. Her jealous ex-lover stabs her to death, yes, but in a weird way, that's kind of a victory for Carmen, a martyr's death, because she never compromises her ideals. José is completely destroyed. At the end, there's nothing left for him but the gallows. (laughs) 
all men kill the thing they love, wrote Oscar Wilde a few years later. And Friedrich Nietzsche, too, in that next generation, took the opera's message to heart. Carmen's conception of love, Nietzsche wrote, is the only one worthy of philosopher. Never believe you become selfless in love because you desire the advantage of another human being, even against your own advantage. In return, you want to possess the other person. Even God does not constitute an exception at this point. He is far from thinking, what is it to you if I love you? He becomes terrible when one does not love him in return. Those turn-of-the-century thinkers were, of course, way ahead of their time in their readings of Carmen. But even as wave after wave of new ideas has crashed against it, Carmen has survived and emerged stronger and more provocative than ever. We've had suffragette Carmens, communist Carmens, Rosie the Riveter Carmens, and every possible kind of feminist Carmen. Today, it's easy to see Carmen as a member of an oppressed minority, using her considerable brains, as well as her body, to navigate a system which is stacked against her. And there's been much discussion recently about this opera and the issue of violence against women. A recent production even flipped the ending so that she killed him instead of the other way around. It's been said that the job of the artist is not to offer solutions, but to ask tough questions. Lord knows, our society has plenty of issues. Thank goodness we've also got Carmen to keep us talking about them. Thanks for listening to our Carmen 101 podcast. The Seattle Opera podcast is a co-production of Seattle Opera and King FM. Find more episodes at your favorite podcast provider or at seattleopera.org or king.org. Musical examples from Seattle Opera's 1995, 2004, and 2011 archival recordings of Carmen, starring Anita Rakvelashvili and Stephanie Blythe as Carmen, Fernando de la Mora and Paul Charles Clark as Don José, Nora Amsalem as Micaela, and Greer Grimsley as Escamillo. Conducting the Seattle Opera Chorus and Orchestra were Pier Giorgio Morandi in 2011, George Manahan in 2004, and Stephen Sloan in 1995.